You're listening to Cross Section, the podcast of the Summit View Church of Christ. Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord This week's Bible readings took us through the end of the book of Job and into uh, the book of Exodus, just the beginning chapters, where we read about Moses and about God preparing to bring Abraham's family, the nation of Israel, out of slavery in Egypt and into freedom. Okay, so let me give you a brief history of Israel at this time and uh, just to just review a little bit. In the book of Genesis, God promised Abraham that his descendants would receive the land of Canaan, which is modern day Israel and Palestine, as their own land someday. During a famine, Abraham's grandchildren and great-grandchildren had to move out of that land to Egypt, and they lived there. And we heard about this last week in the story of Abraham's great-grandson, Joseph. Now, between the books of Genesis and Exodus, first two books in our Bible, there are about 400 years, give or take. And a lot can happen in 400 years. And according to the opening of Exodus, in those 400 years, the Egyptians forced Abraham's family, the nation of Israel, the Israelites, to become their slaves. They treated Israel very badly. Israel was growing more and more numerous. They were growing very quickly. Apparently, they were having a lot of kids. And as the group of Israelites was getting bigger and bigger, the Egyptians felt threatened by them. And so they enslaved them to keep them under control. But the Israelites kept having children. So many that the Egyptians were afraid the Israelites would outnumber them and overwhelm them. And so the Pharaoh at some point ordered that every Israelite baby boy be killed. This is in Exodus chapter 1. And that was a terrible, terrible evil in the sight of God. It would have been evil in any nation, but especially against these people God had chosen through whom he intended to bless the whole world. But one Israelite baby boy was protected. And by God's providence, he ended up being taken by Pharaoh's own daughter as her son. She had pity on this tiny Israelite boy that she found, and she named him Moses. Moses grew up, and somewhere around the age of 40, he saw an Egyptian beating an Israelite. And in defense of the Israelite, he killed that Egyptian. At that moment, Moses, who had grown up in Egypt's royal family in the household of the Pharaoh, chose to be an Israelite rather than an Egyptian. Well, pretty soon, Pharaoh found out what Moses had done. And so Moses had to flee for his life. He fled to the land of Midian, which was east of Egypt and just a little bit across the northern tip of the Red Sea. Moses met a family there that took him in. He got married to one of the family's daughters and they had two sons. He spent his days shepherding his father-in-law's sheep. And life was good for Moses. But the Israelites back in Egypt were still suffering. And they were crying out to God. 
And God heard them. And God was concerned for them. And so God begins to do something new to help them. And this is where we join in Moses' story this morning. We'll pick up our reading in Exodus chapter 3, verse 1. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, when he, uh, and he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. You may know Mount Horeb better as Mount Sinai. It's the same mountain. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I'm concerned about their suffering. So I've come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go, I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. Now to Moses, I imagine that this strange event is amazing, astounding, wonderful, until God speaks those last two sentences. You know, it's just a normal day. Moses is out tending the flock. And, you know, it's funny the creative ways that God gets our attention sometimes. A lot of times he uh, just speaks to us in normal ways. He might speak to us through another person. Sometimes something in the Bible catches our attention for the first time or in a new way, and God speaks to us there. Sometimes you see a person who needs help, and it tugs at your heart. Sometimes, brother, you might be hanging from a little tree on the edge of a cliff, (laughs) right, as you were talking about. And the Lord says, here's how you get out of this situation. And suddenly knowledge comes into into your head, right? Sometimes God does especially creative things to get our attention in a special way. Moses here sees a bush that's on fire, but doesn't burn up. Why is this happening? God's trying to get his attention. God speaks to Moses from the burning bush and explains who he is. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Moses' ancestors, the patriarchs of Israel. Then God explains why he's speaking to Moses. The Israelites are suffering in Egypt at the hands of their slave drivers, and God intends to rescue them and take them to a good land, the land of the Canaanites and some other groups that live there as well, the land God had promised to give to Abraham's family someday. Now the time has come, and God knows just the man for this job. And I imagine that Moses is thrilled and astounded uh, up until verse 10, I mean, he's, he's astounded at this bush that doesn't burn up. This is weird. And he is astounded at hearing the voice of the God of his forefathers. This is amazing and probably scary. But then I imagine he's thrilled at hearing that God is going to help his people. But then comes verse 10. So now go. 
I am sending you. I'm going to go ahead and rearrange here for a second and, and use the stool. That'll be helpful to me here for a minute. Okay. And we are going old school on our Zoom connection today, so I've got to adjust it. All right. You know, I love passages of scripture that tell us the wonderful things that God does for people, how he, how he helps his people, the strength that he gives us. Passages like Deuteronomy 10, verse 18, that says, he defends the cause of the fatherless and the widow and loves the foreigner residing among you, giving them food and clothing. And I read a passage like that. And I pray, yes, Lord, your ways are so good. Stand up for the orphans and the widows <clears throat> and the immigrants. Help them. Give them food and clothing and the things they need for life every day. And then as I'm going about my business, I meet an immigrant who's new to the area. Or a woman who recently lost her husband. Or a child who has no parents. And... Something about them becomes my burning bush. It catches my attention. And I say, Lord, what you said you would do for such people, do it now. Aren't you concerned for these people? And the Lord says, I have seen their situation and I am concerned for them. So now go. I am sending you. And then there's this long pause. That's one of those spots where walking with God can get really tough, you know. God is an outstanding father, and he takes us to be his children, and he loves his children, and he calls us to join him in his good work, and then he sends us to go do it. And that's a great pleasure to be invited into the excellent work of God, but sometimes <clears throat> it's hard, and sometimes it's scary. And Moses he loves Israel. He killed an Egyptian once and had to flee into exile because he was trying to help a fellow Israelite. But now, this was not how he was planning to spend the rest of this day or this year or the rest of his life. So those of you who read this passage this weekend saw what Moses does next. He argues with God. Five times he expresses his hesitation to God. Here is hesitation number one in chapter three and verse 11. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you. And this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. So Moses' first hesitation is this. Who am I? Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? Why, why send me? Moses is probably thinking, I've been exiled. If I go back there, I'm a dead man. Besides which, I have no rank, no position in Egypt or even among the Israelites. Now, if he were to stop and think about it, he might recognize that God has actually been preparing him for this. He has grown up in the house of Pharaoh as the princess's son. 
He, more than anyone else in Israel, knows how things work in the royal court. He's received the best education available in the land of Egypt. He's learned how to lead a nation. And God could answer with all that. When Moses asks, who am I to do this? God could say, Moses, it was I who arranged for you to be brought up in Pharaoh's house by Pharaoh's, you know, be rescued by Pharaoh's daughter and then, then be raised in Pharaoh's house. I've searched all over Israel and all over Egypt. And believe me, you are by far the best candidate for this job. You can do this. But that's not what God says. God says, I will be with you. Because when it comes down to it, all Moses' qualifications, his credentials, his history, his skill set, those are things God gave him on purpose to prepare him for this moment. But they are not the things that are going to give Moses success. What's going to give Moses success is that God will be with him. Because if God's not with you, it doesn't matter how impressive your credentials are. If he is with you, it doesn't matter how much skill or credentials you lack. God is with you. When Moses asks, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? He asks the wrong question. The right question is, will God be with me? And then God's promise, I will be with you. When God sends us. That's all we need. But Moses still hesitates. Here's hesitation number two in verse 13. <clears throat> Moses says to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, what is his name? Then what shall I tell them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. The name you shall call me from generation to generation. Go, assemble the elders of Israel and say to them, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob appeared to me and said, <clears throat> I have watched over you and have seen what has been done to you in Egypt. And I have promised to bring you up out of your misery in Egypt into the land of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites, a land flowing with milk and honey. The elders of Israel will listen to you. Then you and the elders are to go to the king of Egypt and say to him, The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has met with us. Let us take a three-day journey into the wilderness to offer sacrifices to the Lord our God. But I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless a mighty hand compels him. So I will stretch out my hand and strike the Egyptians with all the wonders that I will perform among them. After that, he will let you go. And I will make the Egyptians favorably disposed toward this people, so that when you leave, you will not go empty-handed. Every woman is to ask her neighbor and any woman living in her house for articles of silver and gold and for clothing, which you will put on your sons and daughters. And so you will plunder the Egyptians." Moses' second hesitation is when the Israelites ask which God sent him, what, what should he say? And God expresses his identity as I am. He is the God who is, 
the only God who really is, the God who is eternal and ever-present. He's the God who revealed himself to Israel's ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And now he's revealing himself to their descendants. And God explains to Moses what he needs to do. He kind of tells him the plan. You're to go to the elders of Israel, and then you'll go before Pharaoh, and here's what will happen. You know, often if we know more of the details about how things are expected to go, we're more comfortable going where God sends us. But not Moses. Not here. God explains to Moses that he needs to go speak to the elders of Israel, and they will listen. Notice that line in verse 18. They will listen. And then he and the elders are to go to Pharaoh and ask for some time off for the Israelites. But Pharaoh will refuse, and God himself will then begin to do battle with Pharaoh. And eventually, even the Egyptian people will help the Israelites leave. They'll give them things to help them leave. That's the plan. But knowing the plan doesn't satisfy Moses, he's still hesitant. And so hesitation number three in chapter four, in verse one. Moses answered, what if they do not believe me or listen to me and say, the Lord did not appear to you? Then the Lord said to him, what is that in your hand? A staff, he replied. The Lord said, throw it on the ground. Moses threw it on the ground and it became a snake and he ran from it. Then the Lord said to him, reach out your hand and take it by the tail. So Moses reached out and took hold of the snake and it turned back into a staff in his hand. This, the Lord said, is so that they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. Then the Lord said, put your hand inside your cloak. So Moses put his hand into his cloak, and when he took it out, the skin was leprous. It had become as white as snow. Now put it back into your cloak, he said. So Moses put his hand back into his cloak, and when he took it out, it was restored like the rest of his flesh. Then the Lord said, if they do not believe you or pay attention to the first sign, they may believe the second. But if they do not believe these two signs or listen to you, take some water from the Nile and pour it on the dry ground. The water you take from the river will become blood on the ground. Moses' third hesitation comes from him simply not believing God's message. God said in chapter 3, verse 18, that the elders of Israel would listen to him. But Moses asked, but what if they do not believe me or listen to me? What if they don't? Do you ever, what if God? You know, God sends you to help a person or to do something and you start asking God, but what if they don't appreciate my help? But what if I'm, what if I'm extra busy that day? What if going to them puts me in a risky situation? What if? What if? But the Lord never sends his people without also providing for them. He never calls us to do what he's not going to help us do. And he never sends us anywhere without also going there with us. And so all our what ifs are just our own hesitations and our own expressions of a failure to trust God. Now, when we have questions, when we're, when we're anxious, when we're not sure what to do, we should always pray. We should pray about everything that, that concerns us or worries us or scares us. But we also need to trust God <clears throat> when he sends us. <clears throat> Moses asks, what if they do not believe me or listen to me? And so God gives him three signs, three miracles that he can do to convince the people that God really did send him. The staff, 
that turns into a snake and then back into a staff. His hand that can become leprous, but then is healed. And the water from the Nile River that turns into blood when Moses pours it out. But even then, Moses still hesitates. Hesitation number four, in chapter four, verse 10. Moses said to the Lord, Pardon your servant, Lord. I have never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and tongue. The Lord said to him, Who gave human beings their mouths? Who makes them deaf or mute? Who gives them sight or makes them blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go. I will help you speak and will teach you what to say. Moses' fourth hesitation is, I'm not eloquent enough for this job. I am slow of speech and tongue. And some people think because of this that Moses has some kind of speech impediment. And that's possible. He, he mentions fault, having faltering lips uh, later on in Exodus. But it's, it's hard to tell if we have any hard evidence that Moses really had any trouble speaking. In fact, all his speeches from here until the day he dies, and we have lots of them, they're all really quite good. He seems like a very effective speaker, actually. And Stephen, in Acts 7, verse 22, says Moses was powerful in speech and action. And so I, I suspect that Moses' ability to speak is, is actually fine. I, I personally think he's, he's probably just making excuses. And God just brushes this excuse away. God says, who gave human beings their mouths? And he says, I will help you speak and will teach you what to say. This is not a problem for God. God will take care of it. But even then, you know, I'm starting to get the impression that Moses just doesn't want this job. <laughs> even then, Moses gives another hesitation, his fifth and final hesitation, chapter 4, verse 13. But Moses said, pardon your servant, Lord. Please send someone else. Then the Lord's anger burned against Moses. And he said, what about your brother Aaron, the Levite? I know he can speak well. He is already on his way to meet you, and he will be glad to see you. You shall speak to him and put words in his mouth. I will help both of you speak and will teach you what to do. He will speak to the people for you, and it will be as if he were your mouth and as if you were God to him. But take this staff in your hand so you can perform the signs with it. Finally, it comes out. Pardon your servant, Lord. Please send someone else. Moses just doesn't want to go. And I don't know if he's afraid of the danger if he returns to Egypt. I would be. Or if he really doesn't think he's the right person for the job. Or if he's just living the dream out there with the sheep in, in the land of Midian. But whatever his reason, he, he doesn't want to go. But the Lord sends him anyway. The Lord often sends us where we don't want to go to do what we don't want to do when we don't want to do. And just as God promises to be with Moses and explains the plan to him and gives him three signs to show the Israelites and promises to help him speak and now provides Moses with his brother Aaron to be his helper, so God always provides for us, too, in every way when he sends us, whether we wanted to go or not. We may be woefully underqualified for the job. We may lack the courage to go. We may be far too weak 
I've certainly felt weak these past six months and kind of feel a little bit weak right now. And I've often told God that I don't have enough strength to do my work that day. But what strength I have belongs to him. For him to do is as he pleases. And he has helped me every day. Either he provides me the strength I need or he provides someone like Aaron to stand in for me. And he knows that we are always, always insufficient for the tasks he sets before us. Because our God continually calls us in the church and in our homes, in our schools, in our workplaces, in our community, everywhere we go to be a light of hope and knowledge in the lives of others to bring them into a knowledge of our God through Jesus, our Lord, our families, our friends, our coworkers, our neighbors. And that's a huge task. And none of us is sufficient to that task. And yet the Apostle Paul, probably 1,500 years after Moses, writes in 2 Corinthians 4, verse 7, but we have this treasure, and he's talking about this grand mission from God to shine God's light to the world around us. We have this treasure in jars of clay. Jars of clay are easily broken, and that's us. We're so easily broken. We have this treasure in these jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. <clears throat> we are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. What Paul's saying here is just what Moses needed to hear and what Moses would learn over time. The power by which we carry out God's work in this world does not come from us, but from God. And God calls people who are weak, people like us, to do mighty things in his kingdom, not because they're qualified, we're not, but to show this whole, the whole world his awesome power at work in us. And that's something that we are capable of doing. We can submit our weakness to God so that he can show off his power. We can do that much. We can put his awesome power on display. And so here's our lesson from the story of Moses. Be a person God sends. He may send you this week to do something in service to him. This week, this month, this year. He may send you to show kindness to someone who really needs it. Or he may send you to show compassion to someone who doesn't deserve it. He may send you to bring help, uh, 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 some, some kind of healing or some kind of hope from God to someone you know. He may send you to help with someone's physical needs or with someone's spiritual needs. God will probably not send you to set an oppressed nation free from its oppressor, like he did with Moses? Probably not. But then again, who knows what God might do, right? He may, though, send you to put an end to some sin in your life. And you will not be able to, because you will not be strong enough. 
But with God's help, you can't. We depend on his strength and not our own. He may send you to speak his words to someone like he sent Moses to speak his words. He may send you to be the light of Jesus in someone's life like Paul talks about. He may send you to help a widow or an orphan or an immigrant. He may send you to serve the church or to serve someone on behalf of the church. Wherever God sends us, and he certainly will if we're his children, he will be with us every time. And if God is with us, he will provide all we need. So be a person God sends. Be a person whose strength comes from God, not from yourself. Don't make excuses like Moses did. Don't ask God to send someone else. It's a blessing and an honor to be sent by God to do his good work. And so when God sends you, go and find your strength in him. May God bless you today. Let's pray together. God, our Father, we uh, come before you as people who are often weak. We like to be strong, but we just don't always make it there. And yet, Lord, you have loved us and called us into your kingdom, and you've welcomed us into your family. And though we didn't deserve it, you, you have poured out your love on us through Jesus. And Lord, just as you saved Israel, so you save us. And just as you sent Moses, so you also send us. And I pray, Lord, that you would give us hearts that are eager to do your will, to go wherever you would send us. Just give us strength, dear God. Be with us. If you will go with us, Lord, that'll be enough for us. Go with us today and this week, wherever you would send us, oh God. Teach us to have courage and to find our strength in you. We love you. We're so grateful for your presence in our lives. We're so grateful that you loved us before we ever even knew about you. We're so grateful for Jesus, our Lord, your son, who gave his life for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.